Feel like you've got a lot on your plate, or maybe you've got so much going on it couldn't possibly fit on just one plate. You've got a lot of plates, fully loaded, spinning at full speed. Well, you're not alone, and you've come to the right place. I'm Liz Cerati. Welcome to Seven Plates Spinning, a podcast serving up ideas and inspiration for keeping all those plates in the air. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a happy and healthy and relaxing holiday season. The end of the year was quiet for me and my family, delightfully so. I enjoyed unplugging for a bit, for sure. And now I am excited to be getting back to the podcast. It's hard to believe, for me at least, that it's been a few months since I launched Seven Plates Spinning. And the response so far has been awesome. I've really enjoyed hearing from many of you and appreciate all of the great feedback. Hosting this podcast has been amazing for lots of reasons, but one thing I didn't fully appreciate going in, maybe I should have, is just how much I would learn and how inspiring I'd find the women that I get the opportunity to interview. So today, I want to start off with my first episode of 2021 by taking a look back at some of my favorite moments from the podcast last year, share the biggest lessons I learned from my guests, and also give you a little sneak peek at the next episode coming up because I'm super pumped about it. But let's start by rewinding the tape. I know there are lots of things about 2020 we'd all love to leave in the past, never revisit, but happily, there are lots of things from Seven Plates Spinning that I definitely plan to carry with me into this year and beyond. So here are the top seven things I learned. Yes, seven, because this is Seven Plates Spinning. So seven things that I plan to put to good use this year, and maybe you'd like to join me. Number one lesson was about how my body is changing in my 40s. I learned from physical therapist, Dr. Samantha Duflo, who specializes in women's pelvic health, all about perimenopause, the confounding and sometimes painful changes women experience with their bodies in the decade leading up to menopause. I have honestly not learned so much about my body since sex ed class in middle school. Here is a little snippet from our conversation. Usually one of the first things that people will notice is that they're having a change in their menstrual cycle. That warrants a conversation with their GYN so that they can kind of start tracking what that looks like. And your GYN will have particular recommendations for you. With that, what happens when you start to lose estrogen from your body? Liz, I kind of think about it like a rainforest, right? So a rainforest is nice and leafy and green and lush and moist and warm. And when you take away estrogen, we approach winter. And so estrogen is what keeps the tissues that line your vulvovaginal area and inside of your vaginal canal and those pelvic floor muscles. It's what keeps them lush and working and having good blood flow to those areas and well lubricated. So people will say that they start feeling more dry Sex starts to feel more uncomfortable. They're noticing those tissues are getting thinner. And with that comes with some more thinning of tissues experiencing incontinence. So you're saying my young body is the rainforest and my old body is the desert. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of ways to prevent desert. And there's a lot of beauty in the desert too. Okay. So, So, but what we want to do is stress that like, 
activity, exercise, motion, masturbation, sex, all of these things help to increase blood flow. They help to increase the good stuff going to your pelvis and it helps to keep that strong. That clip just scratches the surface. Dr. Sam covered a lot of territory. If you missed it, go back and listen. You will thank me. Seriously. Number two on my list, therapist Heather Grosso reminded us to give ourselves the same patience and grace we would offer to a friend or a loved one. Basically, let's all stop being so hard on ourselves and stop pushing for perfection. Part of it is giving yourself a little patience and grace, the kind that you would give to a friend or that you would want for someone else. I think it's hard to, for us sometimes to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that we're doing the best we can and that every day isn't going to be 100%. When you can give yourself some of that, it makes it a lot easier to give that empathy to other people too. Especially when you're talking about parenting, I find that when I'm feeling really frustrated with myself, then I feel more frustrated with my kids. So the more that I can kind of say, okay, I'm doing the best I can. And today, this is all I've got. And it's, it's enough. Like, they're okay. We're okay. It's all going to be okay. Um, Just keep repeating I, that. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. It's all well, going to be okay. <laughs> it has a lot to do with our own kind of self-talk and inner critic. And it's hard because when somebody's kind of telling you you're doing a really sucky job, it rarely motivates people to be like, oh, I'm going to get it together. But for some reason, that's the, the tactic that we use with ourselves. It's like, you you really suck at this. And then it's just like, oh, well, now I feel crappy. And it's probably less likely that I'm actually going to kind of write the ship today and figure it out. Definitely need to carry that one with me this year. Then sociologist Dr. Anna Akbari taught us to take lessons from how startup companies operate and apply them to our own lives. I am going to aim to take Anna's advice this year and look at my life like an experiment. Like a startup, I don't have all the answers, but Anna said I can actually use that to my advantage, just as those nimble young companies do. Two concepts that I talk about in the book. One is uh, the value of experimentation, which all startups do, because they're not they're not building on necessarily you know years and years of a legacy of this is how we always do things. They're basically looking at how things are done and saying, what if not? You know, what if we didn't do it that way? What if we disrupted so many assumptions about that? And so by starting to apply that to your own life instead of saying, okay, well, I know that 10 years from now, I want this. It's about small experiments along the way to kind of feel it out and see, hmm, does that feel right? Oh, okay. Well, look, that kind of took me along this little bit of a path. In a way, it's a revised kind of choose your own adventure way of existing Mm -hmm. as opposed to the straight linear line. Other people might look at it and say, well, wouldn't it have just been simpler if you went, did this, 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 and it would lead directly to this. And I think too often, that's how we approach things because we think it's more about efficiency as opposed to gathering experiences, constantly checking in with ourselves and allowing some of that to marinate and to soak in and really to absorb the wisdom of the journey. That brings me to the second concept, uh, which is failure slash pivoting. (laughs) And so when you experiment, sometimes those experiments don't go so well. And startups look at failure as a learning opportunity 
as opposed to something to be ashamed of. It's not whether or not you fail, it's what you do with it. And I think if we start embracing that in our own lives, then things start to look much different. And we permit ourselves to take risks, to take um, to, to, to grab opportunities that, that we otherwise might say, well, that's not practical or that might make, not make sense. Or, you know, and there are, for sure, there are good risks and bad risks. I'm not saying everyone should just completely say yes to everything. Um, but what if you gave yourself a bit more permission, knowing that maybe you would quote unquote fail a little bit, but that there might be some really valuable lessons and knowledge to be gained that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Number four, last year, I also came away with some useful organizing tips, my favorite, like how to clean out and organize my closet. Here are a few highlights from my conversation with wardrobe stylist Vanessa Valiente. Go get a pencil. You must write this down if you are in need of a closet clean out like I was. I keep stuff for way too long. I mean, I've had stuff that I've had like really long time. I have not worn it in years, but I look at it and I'm like, but I might wear that again. You know, or like if I saw that in the store, I would like it still. So I'm going to keep it, but I don't wear it. Uh-oh. I just can't part with it. Should I be parting with it? Well, here's the thing. So I, I'm intrigued by your, by your comment of like, because one of my biggest things with clients, I'm like, look at this item that you're not throwing away. Would you buy it today? And the answer is 90% no. And then I say, get rid of it. But that's okay. interesting that you say that you're like, oh, if I sell this in a store, I would buy it. So that probably means that you're just bored. And in that case, I have a bin that I recommend. And you're like, oh, you know what? I say take a break. Hide it for myself and then like purchase it for myself again. Yes. So you can shop at home. I'm a big fan of that. So, you know, take those things away. Don't stare at it because you're going to hate it. (laughs) You know, you're like not, you're bored. So we got to take a break and you'll shop your own house. You'll open up that bin and be like, oh, hello, yellow. For the past few years, I have attempted to keep my clothes, the tops at least, organized by color in my closet so that I could find things more easily and make an outfit. And I asked her if that's a good approach. I actually don't think it helps that much. And a lot of people are really into it visually. But here's the key thing I want to separate when you put things back. You have, most people have three lives. They have their work life, they have their personal life, and then they have what I call their party life. (laughs) So, I mean, there are people who actually go to clubs. I'm not one of them. (laughs) Me either. All my party life clothes sit there sad in my closet all the time. They get no love. Basically, I still consider you have a party life because your party life is, you know, dinner with your partner, drinks with your gal pals. Like that's still a party. So basically, there's a certain top that you're going to wear when you go meet up with friends or you go out to dinner. And that's what I call a party. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I like your party. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I love it. I'll be, you know, I'll be purging a closet with a, uh, uh, with an older, you know, maybe a woman in her like her sixties or seventies. And, you know, I use these words and I'll even ask her, I was like, is this a party top or is this a personal top? And then she's like, oh, that's a party top. You know, like she, I mean, we're not going to parties, but that's the word I use. Yes, like, this is when we're it. socializing. This yeah. is when we're having fun. So do you group those things together in the closet then? Yes. So basically oh. don't put all your black tops together. You're going to put your black casual slash personal wear mm-hmm. on one area and then your black work tops in the work area. And oh my God, I got to go reorganize my entire closet. This is... You're going to love yes, it. Yes, I need to do this. I need to do this. You, and then whatever you do most, you put it at the front of your closet. And another key thing is always uh, organized by sleeve. So you want to do sleeveless to long sleeve because yes. you will, if you don't do that, your sleeveless will get absolutely lost in between the sleeves of the other items. Here's to staying organized in 2021. 
Another favorite lesson from last year was one from leadership and relationship coach Christine Steinberg, who taught me about why we all need to set boundaries, physical, mental, emotional boundaries. And this is what surprised me, how doing so actually allows us to become more empathetic and compassionate towards others. Why is it so hard to set boundaries? And I think particularly for women, what makes it so challenging? It is hard for women. Um, it's hard for a lot of people, you know, but it is, it can be more of a gender um, stereotypical challenge because women generally give so much of themselves and they are, they are more susceptible to the emotional tugging on the heart and things like that, where you just want to give, especially that need to mother right now. And and maternal instinct. Yes. These instincts to care for We're We're all in survival mode right now. There's no, not one person on the planet who isn't, we are in a global, um, you know, pandemic where we have to, there's fight or flight situations going on. So why is it harder? Well, I think it's because somewhere ingrained in us that we need to be everything for everybody. Mm -hmm. And by saying no, putting up a boundary, we're concerned. We're concerned about whether that will impact the relationship in a negative way, or if, you know, we might lose a relationship as a result, or we might lose a job as a result. Don't want to disappoint someone. You just like have this aversion. I, I know I do. It's like, I don't want to disappoint anyone in any aspect. Of my life. Yeah, you don't want to let yeah. people down. You're right. afraid. There's it's ultimately comes down to fear mm-hmm. of boss of something. Um, and there's a great quote, and I use it in a, a lot of my workshops around this topic. Setting boundaries is an act of love towards yourself and an act of respect towards others. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, when we don't set boundaries and we give too much, we ultimately end up in a really bad position. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's ironic, but it ends up having like a backfire effect. All of this comes down to being a self-defined person Mm -hmm. and someone who has a really is very in tuned with who they are, even though as humans, we are constantly dynamically changing. But if our sense of self is very strong, then we have the ability to access what we know is right or wrong in any moment, right? And that's ultimately such a great compass, right? Is this right for me or is it wrong for me? Okay, it's wrong for me. I don't, this isn't right for me right now. But ultimately, you know, it is uh, what they've discovered in the research is that the people people who have the best boundaries, the most clear and assertive way of communicating them have the most compassion because they don't have to waste time resenting others, you know, getting angry with them for crossing a boundary. You know, it's projecting outward and getting upset with people for taking advantage of you when you didn't set the boundary yourself. So when you, you have good boundaries, you don't, yeah. exactly. you, don't, yeah. you don't have to spend time in that resentful place. I'm going to reconnect with Christine for another episode this year. So stay tuned for that. Now, number six on my list was a lesson learned from Justine Fadak, who taught me about living by a 24-hour clock. Justine shared her personal story of coping with loss and living with chronic disease. And she shared how living by a 24-hour clock helped her to manage her stress and anxiety. It was good perspective for an obsessive planner like me especially and a reminder to live in the moment and take things as they come. A plan is a wonderful idea. Planning is a good way of organizing things and having an idea of a direction. But 
I came to realize that anything past 24 hours, it was quite unrealistic to hold to it. So the 24-hour rule for me or 24-hour clock became, I know I'm talking to you right now and we're participating in this amazing conversation. After this, I am supposed to do Pilates actually, which I love. <laughs> I'm supposed to do Pilates. <laughs> then I have a couple of meetings and then I you know, have uh, an appointment. That's notionally after this, what's supposed to happen. But anything can and will happen between you and I having this moment and all those things that are listed. So the 24-hour clock is have a very strong idea of what is planned for this 24 hours. And I use a military clock, so it actually is 24 hours. And if if things don't go right in that day, the next day you start again. It resets. It resets. So every 24 hours, you have the opportunity to be a different you. And I often say, I have loved all the Justines that there have been and they, they're <laughs> constantly changing. So One Justine is better than the last. <laughs> right. The Justine of yesterday is different than the Justine today because yeah. of the experiences I had yeah. that affected me. Well, when you accept that a 24-hour clock enables you to be anything and everything you want in that 24 hours. And I live every 24 hours as if I will not have the next 24 hours. Yeah. I that's, really that's believe that... through life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Today gave me 24 hours to live that I will never have again on this today. And if suddenly something is removed from my life unexpectedly, will I regret how I live today? Justine is a super inspiring woman. If you missed my conversation with her, go back and check it out on episode six. And finally, I learned, or maybe I already knew, but was reminded that one of the best sources of strength and support during challenging times is other women. Our mothers, sisters, aunts, friends, coworkers. I know my network of smart, funny, resourceful women have seen me through both the best of times and the worst of times throughout my life. And this past year, boy, did I need them. My community of women, which this podcast is meant to help all of us expand is our collective superpower and our connections with other women, what we learn from them and what we give to them in turn, it all helps to make us stronger, happier and more fulfilled. To that end, I want to wrap up with a little preview of my next episode when I will be sharing my conversation with New York Times bestselling author Ada Calhoun about her book, Why We Can't Sleep women's new midlife crisis. This was one of my favorite books I read last year, and it was named one of Amazon's top nonfiction books of the year. I would definitely call it a must read for all Gen X women. Anyone who's feeling like you're struggling sometimes, which I suspect is all of us, Ada tackles the issues facing Gen X women like the journalist she is. She interviewed hundreds of women and shares their perspectives and experiences along with statistics and trend data that explains a lot of the sources of the struggles that women are facing with this new midlife crisis. And it's not all doom and gloom. I actually found this book really comforting and and uplifting and Ada shares some really good guidance and perspective. So I highly recommend it. It's an awesome book. I hope you'll tune in for that. In the meantime, here's a short clip from our conversation. You call this the new midlife crisis and like women's midlife crisis looks so different than the stereotypical male midlife crisis that's like loud and in your face, like buying a new sports (laughs) car. And sexy. Yeah. And then like, you know, and some women do buy a sports car, have an affair or whatever. Also, it's not just men, but like, more often you say women's crises are quieter 
You know, mm-hmm. we sneak our, you said we sneak our suffering in around the edges of our caretaking work, which I thought was so true. Why, why do we do this to ourselves is what I was wondering though. Like why, why are we so hard on ourselves? And well, I think why, what's we going want, on? yeah, I think because we want to do a lot of things. I think, yeah. you know, because of how we're raised and because mm-hmm. of how well educated we are and how ambitious we are, I think, you know, I know speaking for myself, like I love my career and I love my kid and I, you know, I, and I like cooking and, you know, I want to do all these things. Yeah. I feel that it is all possible with enough effort. And, um, and so, so if I am tired or if I am, you know, struggling, it doesn't mean I'm not going to like bring dinner to my parents, you know, who need dinner. Um, I will just cry in the car. (laughs) I I will figure it out somehow. And, And I think, you know, it's, yeah. it's in some ways what I wanted to do with the book is just to point out how much women are doing and just mm-hmm. say, we should at least be proud of ourselves. We should at least look at this and think like, you know what? We, we had kind of a rough road to hoe given how we were raised and given all these other um, circumstances of, you know, entering the job market and jobless recession, entering, you know, house buying in a in the housing crisis. Like, you know, we've just had bad luck. Um but look at all the stuff we've done. Like, you know, look at our kids who are really great, um, you know, and, and look at what we've done in the workplace. And, I, you know, I just, I think we don't take enough time often to really appreciate um, how much we've accomplished and, and, and how, how proud we should be of ourselves. So much more to share from my conversation with Ada on the next episode. So watch for that coming soon. It will be out in two weeks. In fact, I've decided this year to publish a new episode every other week instead of every week. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this over the holidays, actually. Um, When I launched, I set a weekly schedule for new episodes. And truth be told, I was feeling a little overwhelmed because... Well, remember, this podcast is called Seven Plates Spinning, and um, it's truly a constant struggle for me to balance all of my plates with my job and my family and all of the other things. The podcast is something I love, but it takes time. And over the holidays, I was struggling with this and feeling guilty. Like if I cut back to every other week, I'm failing somehow, letting myself down. I'm letting you all down because I committed to publishing weekly. And then I did this look back episode for today. And I was like, wait a second, have you learned nothing? Remember when you learned about not striving for perfection? Remember when you learned about giving yourself patience and grace? Remember when you learned about setting boundaries? So I made peace with my decision to make this change for my own sanity. And I hope you'll uh, continue to listen and join me for each new episode this year. Again, wishing you all a very happy new year and I'll talk to you again soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit sevenplatespinning.com and subscribe to continue listening and consider leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you access the podcast. I so appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.